Nothing But The Words, episode number 70, Four Writing Habits to Unlearn. Welcome to Nothing But The Words, the podcast that gives you everything you need to know to write a phenomenal book. Now here's your host, your author coach, Candace L. Davis. Hey there, and welcome to Nothing But The Words. I'm your author coach, Candace L. Davis. I hope your week and your writing are going well. Earlier today, my sister and I were having a discussion about the state of self-publishing. She is a successful self-published author of children's books. And of course, she is my coaching client and my editing client, which gives me the opportunity to tell her what to do and actually have her listen to me for once in our lives. But beyond that, we really enjoy collaborating and working together. And like me, Amanda's really invested in the quality of the books that she publishes. But today, we weren't talking about her books, although she does have a new book coming out, I believe on Friday. Instead, we talked about our shared frustration with the state of self-publishing. Today, there are so many bad books being published. And here's the truth. Some people really don't care about the quality of their book. They just want to get something out there in their name or their pen name and selling. And that's their right. We have an open marketplace. They can publish whatever they want. And if readers choose to buy it, buyer beware. But I don't believe that's the case for most authors. I believe most authors really do care about the quality of their book, even if they don't know where to start to produce the kind of quality they want to put out in the world. In my experience, most people do want to write and publish a great book. They're not all out here trying to win Pulitzer Prizes, and they don't need to be, but they do want to publish something they can be proud to put their names on. I'm a huge fan of self-publishing. When I started working in writing and publishing, it wasn't an option. We did have vanity presses, but you had to make huge investments of thousands of dollars just to get a book out. And you'd be stuck with hundreds and thousands of copies of your book if you couldn't find a way to sell them. And it wasn't necessarily easy before companies like Amazon came along. Self-publishing has really removed the gatekeepers who once decided who amongst us was good enough to publish a book and who wasn't. Traditional publishing still has a really long way to go to become truly inclusive. And I firmly believe that work needs to be done, is being done, will continue to be done. But for now, we don't have to wait on them. We can self-publish. We don't have to sit around and wait for permission to tell our stories or share our expertise. You don't have to invest weeks and months and years in seeking an agent and seeking a publisher only to be disappointed because you can't find a publisher willing to take a chance on your book. I've had clients who sought traditional publishers, didn't find one, and published their own books and sold thousands of copies. You can still follow the traditional publishing route if it works for you, but you have options now. And those options allow anyone who can type a document to publish a book. Of course, removing the gatekeepers also means to some extent removing the quality control. Self-publishing allows us to hear from a pool of authors that's just as diverse as the world that we live in. However, those authors are now fully responsible for the quality of their books. As a self-published author, it's completely up to you to make sure your cover design, your layout, your illustrations, if you have any, are all up to par. In most cases, you'll do that by hiring professionals to handle those jobs. For most of us, DIY is just not the way to go. 
From my perspective, your self-published book should be able to stand on a shelf full of traditionally published books and fit right in. So your design should look professional, but the quality of your book starts with the writing. Obviously, I'm going to encourage you or even beg you to invest in professional editing for your book. Even if you're a fantastic writer, a professional editor will spot typos and errors and inconsistencies that you'll miss because you're just so close to the content. In episodes 15 and 16, I shared ways you can improve your writing before you go to editing. And now I want to tackle some of the habits many of us were taught in school that may have worked for formal academic writing, but really don't work for a book. This is going to get a little nerdy, but stick with me because if you can unlearn these habits, you will produce a better book and you will make your editor's job easier. And trust me, it is in your best interest to make your editor's job easier by giving him or her the best manuscript you can produce. So let's look at some of the habits great writers might need to unlearn in order to write the best possible book. The first habit to unlearn is that double space between sentences. There seems to be a generational divide on this particular issue. Some of my younger clients never learned to double space after a sentence, but almost everyone over, say, 35 or 40 did learn that. That's a standard from the old days of typesetting, and we don't do typesetting anymore. (laughs) Everything's done digitally. So you only need to use a single space between sentences. And if you mix that up or sometimes use double spaces, it can throw off the look of your interior design. In Microsoft Word, it's really easy to clean up. You can clean up any double spaces using the find and replace function. By finding all double spaces and replacing with single spaces, the caveat there, though, is that the function doesn't always work properly. Sometimes it will miss some of the double spaces. So do yourself a favor and break the habit of double spacing after a sentence. The second habit to unlearn is using creative dialogue tags. (laughs) Now, dialogue tags are just the words we use to indicate that a character in a book is speaking. So if you're writing a memoir and and in your memoir, you're having a conversation with your spouse, for example, you might use things like said or asked to indicate someone is speaking. Malik said, stop. Kenya asked why. But many of us were taught and learned to throw in words like exclaimed, screeched, and cried. Our fourth grade teachers rightfully wanted us to expand our vocabulary, and that was great for that stage of life. However, it's not so great when you're writing a book for adults. Sometimes it may make sense to use words like whispered or explained, but honestly, two words, said and asked, can meet almost all of your dialogue needs. Getting wild and crazy with the dialogue tags may feel creative, but it's often distracting, and it it can even make your writing seem juvenile when that's not your intent. So just most of the time, your best bet is to stick with said and asked. The third writing habit to unlearn is the avoidance of contractions. So many authors send me manuscripts that are 200 or 300 pages and never use a contraction in their content. Now, some people are hesitant to write books because they feel like they don't have enough education. But I've actually found that the people with the most education often have the hardest time with things like this, and they have the hardest time writing for a non-academic audience. They've had so much formal writing trained into them that they struggle to loosen up and write in a more accessible way. Unless you're trying to reach a formal academic audience, you are best served by getting away from that overly formal tone. All that formality is boring, y'all. 
One of the easiest ways to strike a more casual or more accessible tone is to allow yourself to use contractions in your writing. Again, I know your teachers and your professors told you not to use them, but trust me, your readers will appreciate it. Now, that doesn't mean you have to use only contractions all the time, but allow yourself to use them when it sounds good, right? Read the work out loud and feel the rhythm of it. See how it sounds. You'll notice the difference when you use contractions and when you don't. And lastly, the fourth writing habit to unlearn is the habit of remaining neutral. You are the expert behind your book. We as your readers expect you to have a perspective. We expect you to have positions and opinions. We want to hear them. Depending on your topic, you may or may not state your opinion blatantly, but the sum total of your book will communicate your point of view. In formal academic writing, we're often taught to remain neutral, which results in a lot of passive voice. Now, stick with me in this geeky moment here. Overuse of passive voice in your book is just deadly. It creates dry, boring writing. Look at the example of a statement we often hear used in politics. I think it got really big in the 80s during the Iran-Contra affair. When politicians want to avoid taking responsibility, what do they say? Mistakes were made. What does that even mean? Who made the mistakes? Who is responsible, Your Honor? Minimize the use of passive voice. Instead of saying mistakes were made, you could clearly say the president made mistakes or even more shockingly, I made mistakes. Another way this shows up, this sort of passive voice is taking the long way to say something. I always suggest you cut out the middleman most of the time, which is usually in the form of the verb to be. That's what creates the the passive voice. So it's words like was, were, is, or am. Listen to the difference between these two sentences. A great deal of money is controlled by the top 1% and is kept out of reach for the rest of us. Or the top 1% controls a great deal of money and keeps it out of reach for the rest of us. Those two sentences are saying the same thing, but when you eliminate the passive voice, a great deal of money is controlled. You convey your meaning with more strength. The top 1% controls that money. You clearly identify the action takers. Now, this doesn't mean you can never use is or was in your book. I just caution you to avoid using them as an attempt at neutrality and to avoid overusing them. Say what you mean. As you're writing and revising your book, keep in mind that unless you're writing a textbook or a technical manual of some sort, you are probably writing for a non-academic audience. You need to follow the basic rules of grammar most of the time, right? We break those when it makes sense to break them. But you don't need to adhere to all the rules of formal writing that were drilled into us, some of which have changed and some of which are just frankly boring when it comes to your writing. They were drilled into us since from first grade, probably all the way through your higher level education. But they're probably not right for your book. You'll do your editor and your reader a favor if you use a single space after sentences. Avoid going wild and crazy with your dialogue tags and stick mostly to said and asked. Use some contractions in your writing and minimize the passive voice and assign ownership for actions by writing things like I made mistakes instead of mistakes were made. Keep in mind that these are all writing habits that can be corrected when you revise your work. Do not let these suggestions slow you down in getting that first draft written. Make the changes in the revision process and over time, these will become new writing habits for you. 
That's all for this episode, my friends. For more writing tips and inspiration, follow me on Instagram at Candace L. Davis. Thanks for listening to Nothing But The Words. I'm your author coach, Candace L. Davis, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.